Hey everyone, welcome to episode 55 of the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host Stevie Taylor. Welcome to the show. Hope you're well. Um, I'm battling a bit of a cold at the moment, but um, anyway, as always, I'll, I'll be okay. Now, I just wanted to mention to you, I've created a Gig Life Podcast guests playlist on Spotify. Um, basically what that is, is a whole bunch of tracks, songs that feature all the guests um, on the, the Gig Life podcast, um, be it artists or um, if they've played, you know, played instruments on the tracks or backup vocals or lead vocals or whatever. So there's a whole bunch of songs currently on there now um, and I'll be adding to the playlist uh, all the time. So yeah, go check that out. The link to that is in the show notes um, or go to the website and um, in the news section there, there's a, a bit of a link to it too. So yeah, that'd be cool if you go check that out. Now, for today's guest, um, we're heading back across the ditch to New Zealand um, as I chat to Danny McCrum. Now, as you know, this podcast is not just confined to Australia. Um, Being a New Zealander myself, I feel it's important to highlight Kiwi artists and musicians as well, and um, of course, go the All Blacks. Now, some of the past New Zealand guests we've had, um, Rafi Turnbull, Buddy Siolo, Darren Mathiason, and and Sam Trevithick of Shapeshifter. Um, we had Frank Cora um, of Cora and the Modern Mouldy Quartet, um, Metania, um, Chris Chetland of Cog Studios, um, Ian Jones of Supergroove and Alex Lloyd, Joel Shabbolt of LAB, um, Joe Elms, Kerry Buchanan and Chris Cook. So yeah, go back and check those ones out. Now, on with the show, is Danny McCrum. My guest today is New Zealand singer, songwriter, guitarist and podcaster, Danny McCrum. Now, Danny has released three previous solo albums um, and he has a new album, Hustle Bustle, which is due out this September. Now, I first heard of Danny whilst I was doing some research for my interview with Joel Shabbolt for the podcast. I'd noticed that Joel had previously been on a podcast before called Don't Give Up Your Day Job, so I checked it out. Now, Danny co-hosts Don't Give Up Your Day Job podcast with op shop drummer Bobby Kennedy. Now, they interview creative professionals and find out what makes them tick, so that's really cool stuff. A few months had passed and then Danny hit me up and I was like, hey, that's that dude from Don't Give Up Your Day Job. So so we hooked this up. Now, the day we recorded this podcast, Danny had just released his brand new single, Don't Be Late, from the forthcoming album Hustle Bustle, um, as well as talking about his music, the music industry in New Zealand and Australia. We got to chat about podcasting, which I'd never really done before, and I, I thought it was really cool. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, Danny's such a cool cat. So I hope you dig it. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you Danny McCrum. Cheers. Hey, don't know if I should stay. 
I think we're rolling. Danny, cool. Danny McCrum. Kia ora, Bo. Welcome to, the, Hello. welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm no, excited. Not too easy, man. Um, big day for you, releasing your new single today. Um, don't be late. Yep. Don't Se- be late. Second uh, single. Yep, yeah, that's right. It's awesome, man. I love it. Um, Thank you. Yep. Um, listeners, um, Danny sent me the video um, a couple of days ago, so I got a bit of an insight before you did. Um but I guess by the time this comes out, it's it's already been out for for a little while. So, um, what's the day been today? You've been running around. What's the day been? Yeah, I've been dr- driving all over town. Yep. <laughs> talking to different people, and yeah, it's been pretty hectic. I've got I've got so much on uh, this week and this weekend that yep. I'm having to really do some careful planning to make sure it all goes well. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> but it's but it's but it's good. It's all good things. You oh, know? That's good. It's, it's going well so far, eh? Yep. yep. So far, I haven't crashed. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's yeah. So, um, hustle bustle is your uh, will be your fourth album. Is that right? Yes, that's yep, right. Cool. Yep. And that's coming out in September. Um, this uh, particular track, "Don't Be Late," is the second um, single that you've released off the album. Um, and yep. hustle bustle, the title track. Man, I love that track too. Eh? That's wicked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's been a great reaction actually. It's sort of taken me by surprise, you know. Oh, yeah, so, cool. Yeah, like you, you, yeah. You work on this thing for so long, and and when you're inside it working on it, you have absolutely no idea what the reaction's going to be. You know, you so you're so inside it, you have no perspective. Yep. Um. So it, every time you release something, you think it, it could go either way. You yeah. Know, yeah. Everyone might laugh at me. Yeah. Um. Or or everyone might like it. You know. Right. Um. And and so yeah, hustle bustle came out, and the response was just amazing. People yep. just loved it. So yeah, that's great. Stoked. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Now, um, I haven't had a chance to listen to your earlier stuff, but sort of what what sort of musical directional change have you made to this album, or have you kind of is it kind of sort of built towards this kind of sound that you're at now? Yeah, it's not like I've been doing the same thing the whole time. I think I've been, I think this album was more focused, and I feel more like this album represents. I guess what I've been trying to find as an artist. Okay. You know? okay. Um, I, like I've never followed any obvious template as a musician because I don't sort of identify myself with any particular genre. So um, it's not as simple as like, let's go and make a rock album. Yeah. Um, so I've always been trying to stick things together and come up with something new. And I'm, and because I'm, I'm doing that, I'm, I guess I'm going off path, which means that throughout the albums, in my opinion, of course, being inside, I'm going to be more critical, but in my opinion, there have been successes and failures um, throughout the albums, there are moments I look back on and I think, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Yeah, but right. then there are other moments that just came together. So, what I can see looking at it internally is that each album is sort of moving towards what I'm doing now. Sure. Um, but it's like trying out different things along the way. Like my second album was a lot heavier because we were sort of going that way live. So I thought, let's let's bring what we're doing live to the album, make it heavier. Yep. But then by the time we got to the third album, we we're playing around more with jazz and country and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, cool. yeah. yeah. And then my my um, taste as a listener have changed a little bit in the in recent years. I've been listening to a lot more funk and R and B and things right. like that. So yep. now there's new albums tighter and and um, I, I I personally feel like this is my strongest work. So awesome, man. Yeah. I, I, t- mm. uh, do you have a release date in September when it's going to be? Currently, it's September 27. Awesome. Wicked. Looking forward yeah. to that. Yeah. All right, man. So. Yeah. 
All right, let's um let's roll back to how it all began. Um, you were born in Auckland. Yes, yep. that's right. And, born and raised. Yeah, yep. cool. And at what sort of what sort of well musical family? Mum and dad musical. Very much the opposite. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, music. Yeah, music wasn't very much a part of my family, which I think meant, I think it meant that when I attached myself to it, it probably made the bond stronger because it was mine. You know, it was it was it felt like a rebellion a little bit. I think there was a bit of a punk rock vibe to it um, for me because it was mine and I was doing it my way. You know. Right. Uh, and yeah, no, it was a sporty family, if anything else. And I went to a sporty school, and I was never really into sports. Um, so it did feel like a rebellion, but it also, it was, it was a love affair, you know, like when I was really young, before I had any concept of what music was, um, I was just so drawn into what I was listening to on the radio. Um, and so as soon as I started picking up instruments, I, I had already had some sort of idea of how to approach it. And I was, I played, I started playing guitar when I was 12, learned three chords and wrote my first song and I was on stage a month later. So it's been, oh, I've been there ever since. That's awesome. So who, yeah. were, who were those early musical influences? Was it guitar? Did you, was guitar always the thing that that stuck out that you listened to, or not really? No, like I, my first instrument I tried to learn was a piano, and I I didn't really take to it. I love the piano, but I didn't really take to it um, in the lessons. And I was I was actually interested in songs and and the show, and I was I was actually stuck for a while on what instrument to play. You know, I couldn't work it out. Um, I I was in the of the opinion that if you were a songwriter and singer, you played either the piano or the guitar. Um, I hadn't yet clicked that there were people like Paul McCartney and Sting that played the bass, and you know, <laughs> I didn't realize there were other options. Yeah. Um, but and I'd already tried the piano and it hadn't gone too well, so I thought, well, that just leaves the guitar. But I thought the guitar looked too difficult to play, so then I was like, well, what am I going to do? Uh, and there was this little window of time where um, I I didn't really know how to play anything, but I wanted to to write and perform, and I tried to write a couple of songs just out of my head. Right. Um, and I and I put and I, I did it. I wrote a couple of songs, but then I could never play them to anyone <laughs> so oh, right. it didn't work out yeah so a guy in my class uh, who's still a friend of mine um he started playing guitar and when i saw him play he played paint it black by the stones to me one day oh, nice. and yeah. by watching this other guy who's my who was my age i think we we're 11 at the time um play this thing i'm like well if he can do it i can do it and that made it possible so that's what got me to the guitar but no i was never like a guitar nerd the guitar was more of a vehicle to to you know, it's the it's the one the thing that I happened to choose to facilitate my songwriting. Right. Okay. So mm. there was was there yeah. was there ever or is there any guitar heroes these days for you guys that you always sort of go back to for? Um, you know? Yeah, that there are, but they're probably there are they're probably players that would seem less obvious. Like one of my favorite guitar players is Dominic Miller. Yeah, who, yeah. Um, he's played Sting, in Sting's band yeah. for thirty years. Yep, yep. Yeah, um, I love Mike Campbell's work in Tom Petty's band. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm into like, I've, over the years I've gotten into all sorts of players, obviously like um, um, Paco de Lucia and John Schofield and players like that. But I'm a huge funk fan as well. So often I'd be influenced by a player, but I wouldn't know who it was, you know. So I'd be like, be like a kid listening to early Michael Jackson and listening to all that funk stuff. And I'd have no idea who played it, but it felt so good to listen to. Yeah, you know? yeah, still does, eh? It's some good stuff. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, it's timeless. Yeah, you've definitely got that, there's that funk. Definite funk drum going in hustle bustle, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and also, I mean, like I mentioned to you when when we were messaging to set this up, the bass playing mm. is fucking awesome, man. He's the, crazy, yeah. Oh wow, man, so good. <laughs> He's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah and, Dan, and and likewise, sh- shout out to Dan and Sonovich. Yeah, cool, awesome. Shout out, bro. Mm. Um, and also, you know, the 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 drums are tight. They're funky. 
The sound is mm. great. Love the sound of those drums. And that yep. that feel, oh, man, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. And that, that's, that. I mean, that's kind of a staple sort of feel for me because I'm, I'm a drummer. Anyway, right. So, yeah, I, I love that. You know, the crash on the – Yep. Yeah. Um, he's a clever guy. He's a he's a young guy. Jaden Lee played drums, okay. and he's in his early twenties. Yep. And um, we we recorded it fast. We didn't take three weeks to do that. I think he might have got that in about two or three takes. Oh wow! Um, yep. We we did it fast. We um, we took our time getting good drum sounds, but we weren't in a really like high level studio or anything. So we were using our ears a lot. Yep. Um, so it's it, it came together really well. Yep. It's great. Yep. And just while we're still on that track, um. Yeah, that that the outro chorus where you know you you change the chords, but the vocal melody is the same, and then there's that sort of that high high harmony that comes in, which reminds me of Mike Lindup from Level Forty Two. If, if oh, you right. have you heard yeah. Level Forty Two, you listen to some of the the sort of outro harmony stuff that he does, and he hits that. Yeah, it, was, it, it reminded yeah. me of that. It's fucking awesome. I love that song. Well done. To me, that to me, that's like a seventies thing to do. Yeah, you yeah, know, that, yeah. A lot of those those soul singers and funk singers, they would always do those really nice high high notes, and it knocks me out. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. Earth, Earth, Wind, and Fire is one of my favorite bands yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's awesome, yeah. man. That's really cool. Yeah. All right, so yeah. um, let's talk about some early bands that you played in. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, were you playing in bands at school? Did I did I hear um, that you played in a Rock Quest band? One of the bands that. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. A, yeah. A, a band called a band called the Frankies. Right. Uh, when I was when I was fifteen. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I've been in and out of bands the whole way through. Probably like most musicians, you know, like putting my own bands together and, and joining other people's bands. So I, I have absolutely no idea how many bands I've been in. Um, but it's kind of and, and all the false attempts as well. Like I remember when I was thirteen, I was in a band for a while for about a minute with a with a drummer, but we couldn't find a bass player. And this particular drummer, he didn't own cymbals. So he had to play everything with just, you know, kick hi-hat and toms, which was kind of an anticlimax. Which can, which and, can work, I suppose, in some cases, if, if, you're, um, yeah, if you're the white stripes. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> if you make it a creative thing. And the other, yeah. the, other thing, the other thing that was funny about him that meant the band didn't work, but it really helped me, was that he had no concept of landing on the one or, or resolving a fill in time. So, you know, if he, kicked off, if he kicked a fill off on beat three, and, you know, conventionally you'd then land on the next one, he would just do the fill for as long as he felt like it and then start the next bar from wherever he finished the fill, which might be like a bar and a half later. Um, right, and that, so, that, sounds like some, that sounds like some Keith Moon stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. So, so it meant that like none of the songs worked, but it taught me to, yeah, right. <laughs> it taught me to really pay attention to the drummer because I could anticipate when he was going to hit the one by just keeping him in my peripheral vision and just listen really carefully. And um, ever since, as a guitar player, I've been complimented by drummers for being good at listening to them. Which guitar players, as you would know, guitar players aren't always very good at listening to drummers. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah awesome. so that was funny. And then after that, I was in a band with a guy who played the bass, but we couldn't find a drummer, you know, so it's like reversed. Um, but when I was 15, uh, I joined a band with these guys who were all about two years older than me. Um, their singer had let them down, so I came in and we wrote some songs together and entered the Rock Quest and won the Auckland Finals and got through the Nationals and... So it was a pretty exciting moment. Um, the Nationals were held at the Auckland Town Hall and it was sold out. So being 15, standing on a stage in front of this big audience like that was really cool. Um, and what made it, what really topped it off for me is it's the venue where the Beatles played when they came to New Zealand in 1964, yeah, right. four or five, whenever they came here. Yeah. yeah. So that was pretty yeah, that's cool. that's a trip. What year was that? You did the Rock Quest. Do you remember? Uh, 94. 
94. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because we um because I'm I'm originally from Mustardon. Oh yeah. And um yep, and we had a we had a band and we entered the Rock Quest and we we got through the Wellington Regionals. We made it through to the to the local finals, which is, was at the the St James Theatre in Wellington. Oh yep, yep. Um and and that's the theatre where they where um, Peter Jackson filled. Film Meet the Feebles. Is that right? <laughs> have, you, have you seen that? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what year was what year was that? I think that was ninety. Might have been either ninety or ninety one. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Very close. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was the year that um, Aaron Tokono, his band. Um, oh, what they used to be called? I can't remember. Anyway, they they ended up taking out the whole thing. Right. I yeah, heard so. about that. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, a, yeah, he's, yeah. He's a great yeah. player. So you. Oh you, man, you, I. I y- yeah, sorry, go. I was going to say, you must have been, because uh, it wasn't that about the first year that they had it? Was it about 1990 it, the first time they had it or 91? Yeah, my, we definitely, it wasn't the first year for, it was probably, might have been the second or third year, I'm not, yeah. not quite sure. Mm. Yep. Pretty early though. Um, yeah, and it's still going these days, isn't it? Yeah, I believe still, so. Still kicking yep. on, which is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. So what happened to that band after the Rock Quest? Well, um, that's a good question because at the end of that year, um, I was fully excited about what we we're going to do next. You know, part of the prize we won was to record at York Street at the studios. And so we did that and, uh, and we'd played some other gigs and around town and whatever we could get at the age of, you know, I was 15. Um, and then I said to the guys one day, um, what about next year? Why don't we do this and do that? And I had all these plans worked out. And one of them sort of looked at me and goes, you know, at the end of the year, the band's over, right? And, I, and I'm like, what? Why? And, you know, like, we've obviously got a good thing going. Like, why, why would we wrap it up? And he goes, well, two of us are heading off. You know, they, they were in the last year of school, and I hadn't thought of that. Um, and they were, going to, <laughs> they, they were going to uni, you know. I was the, I was the young guy, you know. So um, I was getting left, left behind. So they all left. And, um, and I was like, oh, great. Now, after, now I don't have a band. So that was the end of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a great yeah. disappointment, though, because I really loved playing with that, that band. Yeah, how involved yeah. were you in the the songwriting for that band? Um, well, it was. I've always been a very prolific songwriter, and so that was always something that I sort of automatically. Uh, what would you say? Like, I automatically just sort of become the songwriter if I'm in a band, usually. Um, but because, oh, right, okay, yep, yeah, because I joined their band and they were older than me, I didn't have the same kind of sway when I when I joined the band. So it actually took them a while to re- to realize that I wrote. And there was um, there was an occasion where we were trying to get some songs ready for something, some performance or something, and we were short of a song, and we were scratching our brain, scratching our heads, trying to think of a song. And eventually, after way too long, I said, "Well, you know, I write songs," and they kind of went, "Oh, you do? Well, play us one." And and so I did, and they were like, "That's a great song. What do you, what have you been keeping this for us for?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, yeah. So I yeah, I mean, we we wrote a few songs together as a band standing in the room to get you know one of the most collaborative bands I think I've probably been in, um, and then to c- complete the set, I just gave them the rest of you know my songs basically. So yeah, right, yeah, yeah, but it was cool. Yeah, that's that, that's cool. Mm. Now, so after the disappointment of that band ending and, and your bandmates leaving, yeah, um, what did you do after that? Okay, so the next year after that. Uh, we had a couple of attempts at a new band. We eventually ended up putting a new band together with one of the guys from the um, band we we're just talking about. Um, he was on guitar in the previous band. And he he switched to bass, and uh, we had a few other guys through, and so that was our main band um, for the rest of my teenage years. And I also um, I started performing more solo, 
And I also started to randomly get session work, which I, I wasn't, I wasn't really looking for, but I was happy to get it. Um, but it, it was like, I didn't sort of see it as anything significant. I'd just do it cause it was fun. So I got like, cause I was also playing drums and bass as well. And so I, I got a call from a band once and they said, um, we're going on tour tomorrow and our bass player, something's happened to him. I, I think he was injured or something. Um, and they said, we've heard that you're good at being on the spot. Um, are you free to come on tour tomorrow? <laughs> like never heard of them, didn't know any of their songs. And I went, yeah, all right. I just sort of had this policy that I'd say yes to everything. And I went, yeah, okay. So I just, I, I rang someone and borrowed a bass and drove to the house the next day, met them all, got in the van and left. And, um, and I <laughs> scribbled out a few notes, I think, and sort of winged it. And that happened. And then I, I got a call for something else where I was playing the drums because I loved playing the drums. Um, and then I got, I just kept getting calls to play solo. So I just sort of ended up doing all this random stuff. And uh, looking looking back, I can see how it really benefited me, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's cool. But the um, rest of my teenage years were pretty patchy. I sort of got refocused again when I got about to about the age of 20. Got a new band at that point. What do you mean patchy? Just just bits and pieces and... Yeah. Yeah, like I didn't have a plan and I didn't know how to put a plan together because I didn't know... Um, I didn't really have anyone advising me of what to do. So like the band that we... That, that I was just talking about that we put together at the end of my teens, um, we made probably every mistake there is to make as a band in regards to the the relationship and the band wasn't good. Um, we we got ourselves into a bit of financial trouble. We we basically committed to some recordings and stuff without any, having a plan of how we're going to pay for it. Um, and then to, then to deal with it retrospectively, we got a bank loan, which is a terrible idea. And we got the bank loan in my name, which is a terrible idea as well. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, and it, all, it, it was just like, it was, again, in the long run, it was really positive because it taught me what not to do because we did all the wrong things at once. Um, and one of the sort of significant stories that came out of that was that we, the reason why we put the bank loan in my name is because it was a three-piece. One of the guys had terrible credit and the other guy was a student. I was the only one with a job. And so I was the only one who could actually get the loan. So uh, we did that and just for no, I can't even remember why, but I, I wrote up a, a piece of paper that said the, lo- the loan is owned by the three individual members um, and what the agreement was. And I asked each of the guys to sign their copy and, and keep a copy for themselves sort of thing. Um, what the, at the time when we did that, the drummer had a huge argument with me and he goes, we're friends, we're bandmates, we're not going to screw each other. This is insulting that you'd make me sign this. And I'm saying, like, there's loans in my name, you know, it's, it, it, I'm protecting myself. If you're not going to screw me, you have no problem just signing the piece of paper. Um, we argued for a bit, and then he begrudgingly signed it. Um, we, you know, we each signed our copies, we handed them around, and in protest, he, he took his copy and chucked it on the floor and got up and left. And so I picked his copy up and put it in my file. He, he was a bit like that. Um, so the band didn't break up at that point. We stayed together for about eight months. But then at the end of that year... Uh, we did a couple of New Year's gigs at a festival up north and he said after the shows, uh, I'm out. I don't want to be in it anymore. It's too hard. And we said, fair enough, it's not working out, fine. And he and I said, well, there's just a matter of the debt. And he goes, no, I quit the band, so I quit the debt. And I said, well, that's not how it works. You can't, you can't just quit the debt. And he goes, well, it's not my problem. I'm not in the band anymore, so it's not my problem. And I'm like, well, what are, what are we going to do? Like get a new drummer and say, by the way, you owe us several thousand dollars? You know, it's not going to work like that. And it got nasty it turned into a, you know a, a problem um and we got lawyers involved and it just about went to court and at, at the last minute before we 
we went to court, we forwarded to the lawyer a copy of the letter that we had him sign, and the lawyer wrote wrote straight back and said, I didn't know this document existed. You're clearly in the right, and we'll we'll work out some payments. And so he paid us back over three years, but at least we got it back, you know? Yeah, so I made the unpopular decision and the very unstereotypical decision as a musician of doing something, you know, like having something in writing and having it worked out yeah, yeah, yeah. properly, yeah. which which yeah. which made me kind of the dick in that situation. Um, oh, yeah. But it, but it ended up working out. So I, I learned the lesson going forward. You've got to do things properly, you know? Yeah, right. And how old were you at that stage? I think 18. Right, yeah, yeah, that's some pretty forward, forward thinking for an eighteen-year-old, eh? I guess so. Looking back, I'm surprised that I thought like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember what made me think of it. I think I was, yeah, right. I think I was just, yeah. I felt really vulnerable getting the loan in my name, too. Rightly, too, it was a stupid idea. As, as you would, <laughs> as you would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now you um, worked as an intern in a recording studio in Auckland. Yes, that was all at the right. same time. Yeah, so I left, I dropped out of school when I turned sixteen, uh, which was in '95, and I just wrote to all the studios and said, "Can I get a?" Can I get a role somewhere? And um, one of them said yes. So that's what I was doing. Yeah. Right. So where where was that studio? And and obviously that probably doesn't exist now, eh? I no, I don't think it does. Yeah, it was um in upper it was on Upper Queen Street uh, under a radio station. And in the end, I I had to stop going there because they relocated all the way out on Henderson, and I lived all the way in the opposite direction. So it was like a two hour bus ride each each way. <laughs> so right, yeah, I couldn't, right. I couldn't keep going. Yep. Yeah. So. What sort of what sort of acts were coming through there? Was it just sort of um, like demo type stuff, or did you have some serious yeah um, albums recorded there? And what what kind of roles did you have at that studio, starting well, on and also towards the end? Yeah, it was a small um, studio, so we weren't doing like major records or anything. But we it was basically just the guy who ran the studio and me. I just ended up becoming his assistant, and we were doing we we weren't working really with anyone famous. Um, we had a guy come in from China. Um, who was apparently a pop star in China, which was I thought was quite interesting that he decided to record in New Zealand. But so we did that, and we did a few other local artists, and we did lots of radio jingles and things like that. So, like one of my jobs in the end was to edit together a Kiwi music show, um, which would all be worked out and scripted for me. So I'd get the the paperwork that told me what order to put things together in, and I think we were using, if I remember correctly, we were using the software Soundscape. Do you remember that? Yep. Software. Yeah. Yep. And I think that turned into something else, didn't it? Didn't it turn into Logic or something? No, I think Logic always, was always Logic. There was one early, very, I, might, I may be wrong here, correct mm. me if I'm wrong. Um, I know there was a very early incarnation of Logic. Right. Um, which, which was across all plat- which was across PC and, and Mac. Oh, right. Okay. And then it kind of, I'm not quite sure what happened to it. And then um, personally for me, I, I sort of started on, PC with Pro to, uh, with um, Cubase, yeah, and then of course sort of moved to Mac and Logic and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, I'm not not quite sure, I'm not quite sure what that what that became. Yeah, I heard that it became something, but I can't remember the story. But I, I remember, I mean, it was '95, so it was all pretty new. You know, the idea of recording digitally, right. I'd never seen it before. Uh, and the um, I remember we made one album where the guy basically couldn't sing, and so the the studio head sent him out for lunch and we just copied and pasted all the vocal takes from the one chorus across all the choruses. And I remember thinking, yeah, what? Right. that's cheating, you can't do that. And um, <laughs> of course, these days, that sort of thing's pretty standard. But um, yeah, so I had this job anyway of of putting this Kiwi music show together. And I had this this uh, moment when I was out, we'd, I'd gone out one day on a Sunday with my girlfriend and a couple other friends. We'd driven out somewhere 
and we were driving back and I said, oh, I think the show I edit is, is on in a minute. Do you want to listen to it? And so they put it on and I'm sitting there feeling pretty good about myself because, you know, <laughs> my girlfriend's there and we're listening to the thing that I edited and it's, you know. Um, and at the end of the show, a guy comes on and says, uh, I'd like to apologize for the technical difficulties <laughs> something. And I'd, I'd screwed it up. But basically, I could never get my head around the patch board. The patch board just confused the crap out of me. And it was there was nothing was labeled, so the the guy just the guy who owned the studio just remembered where everything was. But I could never, for the life of me, remember where everything was. And I can't remember quite what I did. But I, when I'd exported it, I'd only ex- I, I was supposed to put two cables in for left and right, but only put one in, so it was actually just on like <laughs> just on the left side or something. <laughs> so oh, yeah, no. that was quite humiliating, you know. And I learned through that job. I mean, I learned so many so great skills and tips and things. But I also learned that I didn't want to be a sound engineer. That wasn't my passion. And there was a yeah, right. there was a particular day. There's a great saxophonist in New Zealand called Chris Mason Batley, and he came in to do some radio jingles or something. And I had to go in and set up his mic and get him get everything ready. And then I came back into the control room, and I remember just sitting down, looking through the window as he got ready to to start. And I just had this feeling like I'm on the wrong side of the glass, you know. And I thought this this is not where I need to be. I need to be focusing on writing and recording. So when the studio relocated, I wasn't too fussed at that point. I was like, fair enough. I'll just I'll just get a job and focus on my music. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, like you said, that was around the time of you were having the issues with the band. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, oh, that was a year or so after that. Right. So yeah. um, that, that band, you had the issues with the drummer. Did that end up carrying on or? No. No. We okay. initially we were going to carry on and then we decided not to. So you sort yeah. of fulfilled. That, that, that fulfilled. band was just. That band was just rotten from the inside out. Yeah, <laughs> we just right. had to let it. We just had to. We just had to move on. Me and yeah. the guy were good friends. The other guy were good friends, you know. Sure. So it's not like we're on good terms, but it just it just wasn't working. You just you, know? you just knew. Okay, all right. Well, well yeah. what, ne- what next after that? Um, after that, there was a couple of sort of lost years of not being in a band, and I I had a girlfriend for a few years, and we broke up, and I moved out of home and moved to the other side of the city, and I was sort of I was sort of out there. In the in the wild for a year or so, um, with a, only a small circle of people around me and really not much going on, it, w- it was a it was a relatively unhappy time. And but one positive that came out of it is I had a friend that owned a Taz, one of those four track Tascam things, and um, he lent it to me. And I was staying in this really disgusting basement room um, under a, under a flat, which was just moldy and gross but that's all I could afford and I used to sit in this little room with this Tascam thing and write songs and like layer up harmonies and things mainly because I was bored basically and I couldn't afford to do anything so um, I just recorded hundreds of songs on this crappy little thing and I'm sure you remember those things and there's only a limited number of times you can bounce before you have to start grouping things and whatever and so um, I got really good at figuring out how to build harmonies and how to arrange songs. It really taught me a lot about using uh, arrangements efficiently and, right. you know, manip- manipulating parts properly to make them sit properly together, you know. Um, so I, I accidentally taught myself some good stuff. But, yeah, I wasn't doing anything until I then moved flats again and that one of the guys who lived in the next flat was a bartender at a, a bar called the Temple Bar, which um, in Auckland is relatively famous as a as a – not around anymore, but um, at the time, everyone played there. Yep. And he, he invited me along to start playing there, so I, I started playing there, and they gave me a regular spot. Um, and then through that, I met all these new people and eventually put a new band together. Yeah, great. Right, and did you record with that band? 
Yeah, the new band um, that we put together was together for a few years, and we did all sorts of things. We we made a couple of EPs, and we we like, I guess that was our first sort of professional band. Like with that band, we supported um, Jimmy Barnes and John Mayer, right, and people like that. And we we started to play like bigger bigger shows in Auckland and around the country a bit. So, yep. And yeah. and was that the band you also supported, Eric Clapton? Is that right? No, that was quite a few oh. years later. That was oh, okay. that was my band. Oh, that yeah. was your band. Okay, cool. All right, we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, that, that was when I was sort of working under my own name quite a okay, bit cool. later. So, all right, well, let's yeah, um, yeah. let's fill, let's try and fill that gap then between um that band that was you know doing the John Mayer support up to yeah up to your band. Um, was there was some did something happen where, but like these bands before that, did they have actually have a name or, or was it your name? Your name. Oh, they all so had band. No, they all had band names. Band Some names, of them yep. were terrible. Yeah, yep. yeah. Right. Um, right. I was never. I never had any plans to go solo or work under my own name or anything like that. It was never an idea I wanted to to, to pursue. Yep. Um. So no, they always had names. They were always proper bands. Yeah. Right. So what what sort of led you to realize that maybe you know I, I want to do this solo. I want to do this under my name. Um. It, it was a sequence of events, and it's not necessarily a decision I always agree with looking back. Sometimes I look back and think maybe I shouldn't have done that. But but what was happening at the time was I was trying to I was trying to get my career sorted out at the same time as I was trying to get my life sorted out. And so like that that time in my I guess early twenties, you know, I was broke. I had like I was in and out of pretty bad relationships sometimes. Um, the band was you know a lot better than the, some of the previous ones, but it was still a little bit rocky. Um, we were trying to uh, like the the big thing for me was I was trying to figure out how to go full time as a musician because I just felt like working in a job all week I was just wasting all this time you know um, which I know is perfectly normal for people I, I don't look down on people who do it but I just at the time I just thought I've got to try and make a career out of this and so I was trying to solve that problem uh, and in the meantime the band was trying to get somewhere so we we're dealing with all of the challenges that come with that, the financial side of it, like if you got to record, who's going to pay for it? You know, um, some, you, you know, we're cause, young. Cause you're not getting a that? bank loan. You're not getting a bank loan again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely learned my lesson with yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember, um, but these are very sort of practical questions, you know, like you've got four guys in a band and the recording's going to cost eight grand, let's say who's going to pay for it. No one has the money, you know, um, and so it becomes messy before you've even started. Um, and as I was just, I was just trying to problem solve all of these things at the same time. And eventually I was at the point where I was unofficially acting as manager in, in the sense that I was doing all the legwork, but I wasn't officially the manager. So I would say, I think we should do this next. And they would quite rightly, they would be able to argue with me and say, no, that's a terrible idea. And I found myself saying, well, you didn't just get off the phone with the guy. The guy told me that this is the thing, you know. Um, they were arguing based on an opinion. I was arguing based on having done the work. And I found that really frustrating. Um, I was also becoming more and more of aware, aware of the the difference in investment of time and energy. Like one of the guys in the band would just show up to rehearsals and the gigs. I know, I know exactly where, what you where, mean. Yep. Exactly. Where I was like involved with everything all the time. And I thought this isn't, you know, it, this is just not working. So when things got tense, one day I went to the guys and I said, I think I need to be officially in the role of manager. And they said, what does that mean? And I said, well, I think it means that I need to have the final say, which doesn't mean that I'm like on a power trip. It actually means I've got a lot more pressure. It's an accountability thing. 
Um, if it works or doesn't work, that's going to land on me, not you. Um, and I'm still going to include you in the decision-making, but at the end of the day, I need to be able to put a plan together and then see that plan through. Because at the moment, we keep changing our minds every five seconds because we're so unorganized, you know? Um, so I need to do that. And I said I, I, I said it needs to also reflect on the money. There needs to be a management fee so that I can just cover my admin, pay for the website, you know, that sort of stuff. And to my complete surprise, they said, fine, brilliant. And so we changed it all around. And then for the rest of the band's life, um, there were no more problems. It just clicked. Right. I thought that story was going to end up massive fight. Everybody left. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Good news. It was the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, great. It was the opposite because, you know, then one of the guys would say, I think that we should do this. And, and I'd say, I'd be able to talk it through with them and say, why do you think that, you know, um, and we'd be able to exercise the idea. And in the end, they felt comfortable also saying, um, you know, in, at the end of the day, it's your decision. And I had to represent them and try to do the best for the band, you know, and it just sort of took the whole argument away. Yeah. Um, and in the, in the meantime, uh, I set up a company and I sort of worked out that things made more sense if I had a company and I was able to invoice for gigs through the company and even pay the guys as contractors and be, be you know what I mean, just set it up properly. Ever since I did that, everything's sort of been easy in that sense, in that, yeah, yeah. In that area. Yeah. yeah, right. And it's it's still like that yeah. today, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I set, yeah. Up, set up my company in 2005 and um, I still that's what I still do. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Right, so this band was still the this was under a band name or had you put your name to that band at that stage once once you sort of formed the company and um it was it was still under a band name it was called spinner and so the band then lasted for another year or so again while I was trying to figure out how to make everything work financially so I could actually live off it um I, there was a, there was another guy who I'd met at the temple bar a few years earlier he was an amazing singer. Um, his, his name's Chris Melville. And um, he, he came up to me once and said, I've gone full-time with music. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'd never met anyone who had actually gone full-time who wasn't super famous, you know? So um, I said, tell me everything. Yeah, <laughs> tell yeah, me how as, you did it. You <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, well, basically, uh, I've realized that I can't live off one area. You know, there's not one thing that I do that's going to make me a living. I'm not going to live off songwriting. Um, the way you've got to look at it is multiple streams of income. So I'm out there as a songwriter. I also do covers. I do jingles. I do anything and everything. And across all of those things, I can put a career together. And that just switched the light on for me. And I, that's genius, you know. So I, I dropped a few of my ideals, like um, a lot of young guys. I, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but a lot of people are anti playing covers, for example, when they're young. And I used to be like that a bit. And um, and I thought, well, who cares what I'm playing, if I'm out playing and making money and getting better at playing, who cares what I'm playing, you know? So I went to the guys and said, I think we should start doing covers gigs. I think we should go out there as a covers band as well as an originals band and make some money and be able to invest that money in gear and recordings and things. And uh, one of them was quite up for it and and another couple of guys were pretty against it and they, they went along for it te- with it temporarily and then um, it eventually broke the band up. A couple of the guys just went not into it. When that happened, I was like, you know, let's just start again. I'll call up my own name and we'll just go forward and do it that way. And I put a covers band together as well called The Buskers, which worked in parallel. Right. So, awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and that was, that, that was my transition into going full-time as a musician. Right. And so when did the first album with your name come out? Uh, 2007. 2007, yeah. yep. Album called Awaken Restless. And it was funny because we – 
so I started the company in 2005, and that band was done by the end of 2005. So I, I basically oh. started my band and started. What's happened? No, I just said, oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> I thought you went, I thought you went, oh, like the recording has stopped or something. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll let you know if that happens. You might see me glancing down right? like this. I'm just, yeah, just, yeah, just always checking. I'm, do- I'm doing the same thing just to make sure it's still going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So the band wrapped up at the end of 2005 and I think we played a New Year's Eve gig again. I think that was the last gig we did. So something yeah. about New Year's Eve gigs. Uh, and 2006 <laughs> was when I put my, my new thing together. Um, and by now being out there working and playing a lot more, we it, it worked. We were able to invest in gear. We were more rehearsed. We were tighter as a band because we were playing more. Um, and we were bringing in more more money because now it was our job to make money through music. So I actually had money to apply to to allocate to recording. So my first album, I spent my money on. It was my investment, and I paid right. the guys a session fee to, to record on it because it was my decision to do it. Yep. Um, which meant that I had to work my ass off to get it done and then and then promote it. And uh, I released it, and 10 months after release, I managed to break even and make my money back, and, and it's been in profit ever since. Oh, that's so, great. Yep. Yeah, by making that decision, it really couldn't have worked out better, really. Were you touring your, your albums, your music? Yep, yep. The first thing we did, actually, with that band, before we were anything, uh, was we went on a national tour. We thought, let's just do something massive and crazy just to kind of make everyone look at us. And we just booked a tour that took us from Kirikiri to Invercargill, just top of, top to bottom of the country. We hired a sixth berth camper van and uh, we just, we, we traveled in it. We slept in it. <laughs> we just drove oh, this man. thing like a big adventure. Um, by the end of it, it, it was, um, I was pretty happy to not be in that thing anymore. Yeah, but, sure. it was, <laughs> but, but it was a great adventure. Yeah. 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 That's cool. All right. So on to album number two, which was, yeah. um, Say what you mean. Say what you mean. That's right. Yep. Yep. yep cool. Now, was that mm. with the same bunch of guys? Yeah, I think each album the lineup has sort of changed just slightly. The okay. the um the lineup changed a little bit. Our, our drummer changed between albums, if I remember correctly. Um, our original drummer, really really nice guy called Steve Harvey, who has gone on to do really great things. He's he's um he actually moved to where did he move to Hong Kong or somewhere like that. And he's doing amazing things. So, uh, but he said to me right at the start, um, "I'm happy to be in the band, but it's going to be short term because I want to pursue other things." We said, "Great, that's fine." He just yeah, set awesome. us the expectation. Um, I expected him to be in the band for about six months, but we ended up having him for about a year and a half. Okay. And then he came to me one day and said, I, "I, you know, I now need to go and do other things." And we said, "All right," you know, um, gave him our best wishes and auditioned and found another guy called Glenn Child, who um, is another great player here, and he played on the second album. So. Yeah, right, brilliant. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then you, did you tour again? Yeah, I mean, by that point, touring had become harder because, yep. as, as, as I'm sure you know, the costs go up and, yep, yep. you know, it's, it, yeah. So instead of touring, we, I guess by that point, we're more just traveling to do shows or doing pop-up shows here and there. Um, the second album we recorded early in 2009 and released by the end of 2009 and it was quite a big year. Like that's the year that we got the support slot for Jeff Beck and then Eric Clapton. Um, and I, tour- I toured with Tommy Emmanuel again. I- I've toured with him about four times now. Um, and then we were, we were flying around doing like um, orientation, uni gigs, you know, in Christchurch and Auckland and things like that. So we're sort of all over the place. Um, I don't know if you call that a tour <laughs> or if that's just doing suppose, lots of stuff. I suppose it, I suppose it is. I mean, in, uh, here and here in especially bands that are they're in Sydney – yeah, tours these days 
and I think all over Australia really, tours these days are just a fly-in, fly-out the weekend type thing. That's right, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, I think that's pretty standard. Yeah, so, yeah, saying, if that's what we're yeah. talking about, then, yeah, we're touring constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, but, yeah. but no, more, no more camper vans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. All right, so, um, and then Let Us to the Future, that was 2012. Yep, yep. yep. So a couple of years had passed and I'd sort of done a few other things and we decided to, well, uh, one of the things that happened actually before that was we, we sort of started a new band on the side and it kind of backfired. It just sort of didn't work for a number of reasons. And in the meantime, I'd been writing all these songs, which um, I had no plan for. I'd just written all of these acoustic songs um, and I'd started to demo them with, with our live engineer. And eventually we thought, these songs are pretty good. Why don't we invite some musicians to play on them and we'll just see what happens. And the, the, the idea, the concept of it just sort of evolved as we went. There was no sort of one moment where the plan was put in place. Basically, we reached out to a bunch of our friends that we'd played with live and just invited them and said, we don't really know what we're doing, so why don't you just come and play whatever you want? You know, like, awesome. instead, of me, instead awesome. of me telling you what to play on the drums, for example, you just, you just make up something and surprise me and make it more interesting. And so we had three drummers and three bass players and I think a couple of guest guitarists. There was a banjo, there was several guest vocalists. All of them were almost with zero direction from me, like just the odd thing here and there. Well, like, why don't you do it again, but change this thing or something. But generally speaking, um, all of everyone on that album wrote their own parts. So, awesome. so the album came out under my name, but I don't really think of it as my album. I sort of think of it gotcha. as this big thing that a big group of us made together, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So what happened after that? It was a bit of a break. You took a bit of a break, did you? I did, yeah. Um, I mean, the the truth of it is, is after that, I I just kind of hit a wall. I was burnt out, you know. I mean, the the um, the year letters to the future came out. Spotify came to New Zealand, and straight away, I could see how how destructive that would be for the industry. Um, the New Zealand industry can be very difficult. It's very political. It's very small, and I, I'd always felt a little bit outside. You know, and I, I wasn't really getting the support. We'd had a record deal and stuff, but it just didn't, still didn't feel like we had really gotten the support. Uh, we, we were getting more support from international artists, funnily enough. Yeah, <laughs> they kept yeah, asking right. us to do things, but the local people right. weren't really interested. And by that point, I'd been like writing songs and running bands for so long that I just, I, I just burnt out. And I, if, there was a little window of time there. It was about two months long where I actually considered quitting music. I thought maybe I'd, maybe I'd do something else. And then I realized after a bit of, you know, reflection that I didn't have to quit. I didn't have to quit music completely. Um, and what a waste that would be after all these years of, you know, of course, trying to get strong at it. Um, instead, of, instead of quitting music complete, completely, I can just sort of change direction in my career and focus more on being a session musician rather than sort of putting everything on being an original artist. Because I think that was the problem is that while I was always doing session work and stuff, I think I just identified myself as an original artist and my sense of whether I was successful or, 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 or a failure as an individual rode on whether my music worked commercially, which made zero sense, you know? So, so I, I, read, I changed my direction to focus more on being a professional musician in all respects and um, did that for a few years. And a few years later, I, I sort of randomly got the desire to start writing again. And so that's right. led up to this album now, right? So just I'm just going to take a a, a um 
a snippet out of your bio. So then okay. in a random moment, walking along a street in Vienna, yep. Austria, the, mu- the muse returned. So, <laughs> so was, there a mo- was it an actual moment? Yeah. Was, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, that's it, that's completely true. I was walking along the street yep. and I thought, oh, you know, I know what I can do. I just kind of heard it. I know what I want to do. I, I, I wouldn't even be able to explain it much more than that. Um, but you know how creatively, and I'm sure every creative person out there knows what I mean, just out of the blue, you go, I get it. I know what I want to do. And that, that was the moment. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And did you, <laughs> did you act on it straight away? Pretty much. I mean, I was, I was in Austria, so I had to wait till I came home. Yeah. Um, but, no, no, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah no, I, so, I came home and straight away I started to, to demo things. And I mean, I, don't, I continued to sort of casually write and then, you know, save demos here and there. Um, right. But I started to dig through the demos and what have I got and then write more material and started making the list of that would eventually get refined down into the new album. Right. So, and, and that's, that, this is the music, the, the songs that are on Hustle Bustle. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And and the song the, the song Hustle Bustle itself um was it was the strangest song when I first wrote it because I, I I got the the idea for this really weird sort of dark and twisted bassline that was going to be like this weird kind of industrial trap sort of thing. And and, yeah. um, and I was really into it for a while uh and but I just kept just kind of messing around with it. Eventually, ironically, the bassline got ditched. The, you know, the thing that was, the song was written around. Yeah, I just sort of I ditched the thing that, that the song was written around. And, um, it's a killer bass line now. <laughs> and so yeah. I could probably reuse it and no one would notice because it's, it's, so, yeah, yeah. it's so different. <laughs> um, and the song eventually got sped up slightly and converted into whatever you'd call it now. I guess a funk funk thing or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an early piece. Mm. Yeah, no, awesome. All right, let's um, talk a little bit about your podcast. Right, um, yeah. Now, yeah, so... You and Bobby Kennedy from, and Bobby's drummer from uh, Op Shop, if you That's don't right. know. Yep. Yep. Um, have a podcast called Don't Give Up Your Day Job. That's right. <laughs> right. So tell me how that came about. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's, so, let's talk uh, a little bit about podcasts. Well, yeah. yeah. For those who don't know, um, uh, Op Shop were a very successful band in New Zealand. Um, they won all these awards and hit all these records and whatever. And uh, uh, the band. So Op Shop broke up temporarily, and in in the they got back together. But um, uh, Bobby and I ended up working together in a show that was touring New Zealand, and so we're often just chatting and comparing stories, and you know the usual musician thing, um, long long rides in the van or um, on a plane or whatever. And this one time at band camp, you know, comparing things. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, um, we kept talking about all this stuff, and just on one particular drive, he started talking about how he had always wanted to make a documentary and he wanted to make a documentary about the real life of a professional musician or, or even broader than that, a professional creative. Because yep. having been in, in this band that in New Zealand is a household name, there were all these weird moments where people assumed that they're multimillionaires or they assumed that they're really broke or they, they assumed that they're all drug addicts or they assumed that, you know, they had guitar-shaped swimming pools or, you know what I mean? And <laughs> there, there, there seemed to be a real disconnect from, from reality and, and, you know, the, the idea of what being, a I guess, a rock star, for lack of a better term, meant. So he was, he was talking about this and he was trying to get a... He was, he was trying to get people interested to help him make a documentary but it's obviously quite an expensive process to do that and 
it's a risky subject as well because anyone who's going to go on there and talk about it is in one way or another going to potentially, I don't know, they might see it that they're putting themselves on the line by being honest. Yeah, in ex- it, you know, in ex- a, and our industry, we're always trying to put our best face forward, you know. I um, understand. Yeah. So he, he struggled to get that going. And I said, well, why don't you avoid all of that and just make a podcast? And we had both been pretty big podcast fans. So he went, yeah. And I'm like, it's, it'll cost us almost nothing to do. And yep. instead of instead of talking to like half a dozen artists for a documentary, we can talk to an endless number of people. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and and if any if for those out there who end up listening to all the episodes, across the episodes, they'll start to pick up the themes. You know, yep. because what I've realized is that if you talk about like how to make it or how to be successful, no one knows the answer. Because yeah, even if you you know, let's say you go and talk to some really successful artist, how did you do it? They tell you their story. Well, I started here and I did this and I met that person and went over here. You can't replicate the story because it was dependent on that time and place and who was around and, you know, so you, it's never going to happen again. Um, and that's why there's no blueprint to having a career in the arts, I think. Um, so so I, I think the answer is to talk to as many people as possible so that you can pick up on the themes. And you, and, and some of the obvious stuff rises, um, rises to the surface, like having a good work ethic and being organized and that sort of stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's that's why we started it basically, and and my experience had been similar to his, but I didn't come from a really famous band. I was um, my experience had been as a working musician, again dealing with the same sort of confusing perceptions, you know. So that was it. And so, how many you're seventy odd episodes in now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think we're up to about seventy three or four or something. Yeah, that's great. What's been the biggest challenge? Podcasting. I mean, I, I, def, I definitely have some challenges, and I'm sure you guys do too. So, I'd like to hear um, what what your biggest challenge is with podcasting. Yeah, um, and and it'll be it'd be interesting to see if we have the same challenges. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I I think for me early on there was a little bit from time to time there's a little bit of an imposter syndrome where just talking to the odd person you would psych yourself out and you'd think. God, I'm no one compared to this person. I've got nothing intelligent to say. <laughs> you know, this yeah. person's like yeah, yeah, a world, yeah. world famous, like killer musician or something. Well, I've got nothing, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, which is ridiculous because you don't have to be yeah. the same as someone to talk to them, you know? But no, um, right. yeah, so I, I, I'd psych myself out on that. Uh, and learning about pacing was really interesting. Uh, you know, we, neither of us had a background in broadcasting. So, we, you know, you learn how to not have dead air and how to think ahead, how to stay in the moment, yeah. but think of the next question yeah. at the same time. It's yeah, it's actually more challenging than you'd think. <laughs> I think absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, and um, most most of the people that I'd talked to up till about episode forty or something or something like that, it was very flowing and right. and and like yourself, you you just you you talk and 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 I can kind of predict when the answer to the question is going to end so I can kind of prep myself. I, I spoke to one guy and uh, I would ask him a question and he'd just say, no. <laughs> and and I, I, don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever had that situation, but oh, yeah. that's hard, man. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that, that taught me so much. I mean, yeah. by, the end of, by the end of that particular episode, we were flowing, man. I knew it was coming. I, I, I would, I would uh, change the way I asked the questions so I had right. to get a bit more of an answer yeah. so I had time to think, you know. Because, <laughs> um, you know, because likewise, I, I'm, I had no experience in broadcasting, um, mm. nothing, nothing like that. I'd just been a musician in a, in a, 
you know, uh, electrical fitter all my life. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 So, you know, yeah. So that, that was a challenge that sort of come about, you know, in the last few months. But for me, the biggest challenge has been um, the people that have been quite demanding. Oh, yeah? In what um, way? Yeah. Uh, in um, having the episode have to be a certain way. Oh. Um, asking for edits and re-edits and, oh, really? and then doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's been a couple of those. I'm definitely not going to name them. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then at the end of the day, you know, that episode will come out, but – they they don't do anything about it. They don't help promote sort of, it or anything. Not, not promote yeah. it. Yeah, not yeah. not that I'm actively seeking that, but you know, you'd think if this person has got, you know, wants me to go to all this detail to get this sort of their product right, I suppose. Yeah. Um, that they want to use. They want to use it. You know. So that, and then I've had people that haven't thanked. You know, not not that I'm fishing for that stuff, but um, yeah, I know what you mean. You know though. what I mean? Eh? That, yeah, that's kind of a kick because you know we 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 do this for nothing, mm. um, and most of the time, these th- these particular people, I've actually gone to them, and 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 if you've been to Sydney, Sydney's a big place, and yeah, you know some of these places, it's an hour to get there and an hour to get back. Right at night time after a long day at work, you know, you go to hang out with this person, and you know. And get back, and it's kind of a kick in the teeth, to be honest. Yeah, no, I totally, I <laughs> yeah. totally hear you. I haven't had that too much. Yeah. Like I've had the odd person. Okay, that's good. We 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 um offer the opportunity to take things out, like because we we don't want people to be so, too so, paranoid when they're talking. So yeah, yeah. If I, I after, we, we always say to them, if, if after the episode you're not comfortable with something you said, then by all means we'll take it out. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah, um, likewise, I, def- I definitely do that. But see, yeah. for me, it's been, um, it's been the last like. I I, I kind of release a similar sort of day, yeah. And it's be, it's been like the day before, or even on the day that that person has <laughs> really <laughs> after after two, after two weeks gone, you know. Um, so you know that's that's difficult. But I'm, I'm getting my head around that. The, and the, the other thing that the other thing that was was tricky to get my head around, which I, which I've got it sorted now, is yeah. when I would sit down and never n- never met that person before, and then you sit with them for an hour and a half, and you know you get to know them on a quite a deep level. Yeah. And then deep down you think you probably think that that we're now friends. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um and then crickets, man, you never hear from them again, you know. That's weird. That was <laughs> that was a hard thing to get my head around, you know. <laughs> and then I just got to think about no, no, that, that that's the whole point of it. Like the, that person wanted to sit here and tell their story yeah. for the podcast and and that's it. You know, I, I guess so, on yeah, that, that I guess on that level, they're probably used to doing interviews. You know, going on TV or exactly. something, doing an interview, and, you, and, it, and you're not supposed to have any kind of rapport before or afterwards. Exactly right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is a yeah. shame. I've enjoyed actually um, us chatting a bit leading up to this. Yeah, it's, it's been quite yeah, cool. Awesome. It kind of feels like there's yeah. already a rapport there before we start. You know, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but I've, I've we've found on uh, one of the things that I've found is that Americans, just generally speaking, obviously, um, Americans are, tend to be very good at talking a lot, but then and then pausing to let you talk. Um, yeah, whereas, right. whereas I find, especially New Zealanders, they talk constantly and never let you get a word in, um, or they do what you were describing before, where they say nothing. They just say yes and no. Yep. <laughs> and I find it very strange, you know, but I, I think... Um, yep. Maybe the Americans that we've had on the show, again, they're, they're possibly just more used to the type of entertainment world over there where they're, <laughs> where they're thinking more about pace and dead air but also not interrupting each other so much. I don't know. It's quite interesting to see how different countries and cultures uh, operate in these in these ways, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I listened to your episode um, 
on Dr. Tennant's. Yes. And and it, it, yeah, and I I was really fascinated by that whole topic of sort of cross-pollinating the podcast. Yes. And that's right. It, yeah, I think it's great. And we I mean, we are obviously doing that now. Mm. Um um there's also a couple of guys here um that have podcasts that we've talked about and um one of them we're going to do like a actually a couple of them at different times we're going to do like a um a podcast together. Right. But then we're going to, yeah. That's released so on, that, released on both be, podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Cool yeah, idea. It'll be the same, same, same podcast and we'll sort of, sort of share the hosting role of it as we go, you know, so that's exciting, you know, that's I love that's that. Cool. I love that sort of thing because I sometimes have felt over the years that musicians can be also very cagey about each other and very competitive and cut each other down a lot. Yep. And I, I've always thought, you know, it's so hard um, to be a musician and the music industry is so hard. We should be backing each other yep. up, you know. We should exactly be re- right. we should yeah, be yeah. reinforcing each other. Like it's up to us to like we often bitch and moan about not getting paid enough for unfair treatment or bad contracts or bad playing conditions and stuff. I always just think if if we all say no to something, then it then it will change. No? Exactly. But as yeah. as long as we keep acting as as solo pilots, we're not gonna fix anything. So yeah, I think I right. think pulling together to me makes the most sense. Yeah. Hmm. Um what's with all the guests that you've had, um, what has been the biggest, um, I wouldn't say advice, but the biggest takeaway you've taken from a guest? They've said something Ooh. and it had the biggest effect on you. Wow, tough question. Um, uh, I don't really know. <laughs> it's been, I mean, it's been really nice to get so many perspectives on subjects because it it's the way that I think anyway. Like I'm not the sort of person that develops an opinion early in a in a process and then just defends the opinion whether or, whether I'm right or not. I'm I'm the sort of person that you know I'll keep considering something over and over again. You know, so in the time that we've been doing the podcast, quite a lot of things have happened in the world. You know, in the time since the start of 2016, of course, we've seen everything and happen in the politics in America. Um, you know, on the early episodes, you can hear us going, nah, he's not going to get in. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I think when he got in, I think that it was more like, he got in? What the fuck? You know, we couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's, what do, what do we do now? <laughs> exactly. Now it's kind of like, nah, he won't get in again. But now we've sort of like, well, he might. <laughs> I hate to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's hope he doesn't, but he might. Um, and all of the other things that have happened on, on, on you know, like meet the Me Too movement, for example. So I think I talked about this on the Dr. Tennant podcast as well, how when some of that first happened, I think Matt Damon got criticized because he came out and said, well, not all guys are jerks. And I, I was saying the same thing. It's not all of us. We're not all like that. <laughs> uh, but then I kind of realized after a while that, yeah, that's true, but it's also kind of not the point. You know, the point is is that there there have been these these things have been going on for so long and they haven't been heard or respected or recognized. It's not time for for people like us to defend ourselves. It's time for us to listen. And and so that I think that's probably not just with that subject, but with lots of other things. It keeps reinforcing that idea that that really what we need to do to to make some positive changes in the world is start listening to each other more and having more empathy and more um, intelligent thinking, you know? And, and I guess the podcast has just reinforced that for me, that 
none of us know everything. So we've got to just calm the fuck down, chill out a bit, listen to each other, and try to work together rather than putting up walls, literally or figuratively. So. Yeah, right. That sounds a bit. Yeah. That sounds a bit political, doesn't it? Maybe I should go into politics. Oh, classic! Yeah, Australian politics, man. Or yeah, I'm not touching that. Nah, nah. (laughs) I'm I'm so not political. I find the subject so boring. Yeah, same with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and also, I'm I'm not a Australian citizen, so I don't I don't vote. Yeah. And it hasn't bothered me too much. except for the last few years. Um, but I still haven't got around to getting my citizenship so I can vote. Right. Um, so I, sh- I sh- really should do that so I can have a say, you know. But Do you use that as a kind, of, a kind of way of staying detached if you don't like what's going on? You kind of go, well, it's not, uh, you know. Yeah, I do do that. But also I get, I get in trouble sometimes if I end up having a political opinion. Right. Um, and because, you know, most of, the, most of the people that I know, my friends know that um, – I don't vote because I'm not a citizen. They just go, shut up. You yeah, know, yeah, you've you got right. nothing. Just shut <laughs> bloody, bloody Kiwi, shut up. Go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you vote, that, do so, you vote you know. in New Zealand? No, no. No? Mm-hmm. No, no, I think I, yeah. No, no, I, I don't. Um, so, yeah, I should vote somewhere. I should have a say somewhere. <laughs> should vote somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, just... To this point, what's been the biggest um, lesson you've learned in the music industry? Um, I think probably the answer to that is in some ways corny, but it's to trust your instinct. You know? Yeah, right. But, which which I mean, you, sounds like you have. Oh, uh, not, not always. Not always. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, and, and I guess to the most part, I've always sort of followed my own nose. But um, yeah, there, there were times in the past where I turned things down because they didn't feel right. Um, that, you know, contracts or management deals or something. And it's like, nah, I don't think so. Uh, I, yep. I worked out pretty early that while we're all sort of taught to all want a record deal, record deals aren't automatically the right thing to do or the right thing to sign. You know, you've got to consider the deal on what you're going to get out of it and if it's going to work, um, if it's going to make your plan work better or if it's going to inhibit you, you know? Um, so things like that. But also, even just on a creative level, there have been so many times in the past where I've second-guessed myself and I've known, I've, I've instinctively I've thought, I, I, I think I know how this should go, but I didn't quite have the, the clarity or the confidence to say it needs to be like this. And usually those are the moments that I look back on and regret because I think, ah, I should have held my ground. And so on the new album, you know, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still an artist and I'm still self-critical and I still have, the mo- have moments of listening to something I've done and, and, you know, questioning things. But on the new album, I feel like I just sort of put that to rest finally and said, I'm going to do this, you know. And this is the first album that I've 100% produced as well. Uh, yeah, in the right. past, awesome. Yeah, in the past it was either... Uh, an actual producer or co-production and yeah so I, I just look back and I think everything that I don't regret is when I just went for it and everything I do regret is when I kind of hesitated mm. I think instinct is quite powerful and, and I don't totally. think there's any I don't believe in any kind of supernatural force or anything but I think instinct is we collect things subconsciously and our instinct is when that is focused into something that you should really listen to most of the time. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, have you ever had, or do you get much support from New Zealand on air in regards to like making tracks funding, or have you had anything along those lines? Um, have no. You, have, you, have you put have you put yourself <laughs> forward to that stuff? I, I have. Um, yeah. I'm kind of laughing because uh, yep. I I went through a phase in the early years of trying to get funding, and when we got the record deal, our label manager organised a meeting with us in New Zealand on air. And I went to this meeting and they said, yeah, we considered you, but we decided to not support you. <laughs> and I was like looking at them going, well, why are we here? <laughs> I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and that, that kind of made me think, well, obviously I'm just not the, the right ilk for that area of the industry. Um, so I ignored them after that. I, well, you know, I didn't ignore them. I just didn't bother. Right. So, so oh, why, did, sorry, why, did, why did they call you in there in the first place then? What was the I, point of that? Exactly. I have no idea. A free coffee? Oh, I'm still, not sure. You still... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the label, yeah, the label right. was paying for lunch? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. It was right. bizarre. I don't know why you'd say yes to a meeting if you've already decided not to support the artist. But anyway, whatever. So all these years have gone by since then. And I had a meeting with someone uh, sort of in the business recently who said, Hustle Bustle's a really strong track. I think you should put it in for funding. And I was like, they're not going to fund me. You know, that's sort of yeah, been and gone. Right. And she goes, I think you should try. She goes, I'm not saying anything's going to, you know, it's not guaranteed, but I think you should try. It's like, okay, fine. I, you know, I'll give it a shot. So I put it in and I'm now waiting to hear. So in a month or so, oh, I might get funding. Who knows? Yeah, right. Awesome. It'd be, oh, cool. It'd be cool if they supported me. I mean, I feel like I've earned it, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess everyone feels like that. I'm in a band called The Company. Yep. Um, and we're a bunch of Kiwi followers. We were all in Sydney at, at the time, but there's a couple of us. Um, hang on. Oh, here, no, sorry, my back, MacBook screen just went black. So uh, yeah, I hate that. Heart eh? skipped a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we wrote the song and, and – um, oh, sorry, yeah. So we've split up a li- little bit over the country now, but at the time um, we had the song and, and one of the guys was putting the tracks in – um, making tracks to see what happened. Yeah, and then we almost we almost split up. We'd had this massive fight at rehearsal, and we were done and sending messages <laughs> going, "No, I don't want to do this anymore." And right. Anyway, um, Ronnie sent this message late at night, and I thought, "Oh, what's this? Car- we're still carrying on, you know." <laughs> and he's like, "We just got making tracks funding me uh, funding. Wake up!" <laughs> and he saw that I saw it, and then he rang me straight away, and he goes, "We just got funding," and I'm like, "What? What does that even mean?" Like, and uh, yeah, so um. And did this, the band stay together because the funding came through? We did, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and we, um, we, uh, so we got the funding for the for the track and the video. So yeah. we started a, a crowdfunding campaign here in Sydney to sort of pay for our flights over and you know and to do it and um, went and did it and it was great. Um, do you know Chris Chetland? Yes, he ma- Col- he mastered Col- the latest Col- album. Yeah, right, awesome. Well, yeah. Chris was on, Chris was on the panel and he he heard the song and he. He kind of fought for it, you know, and and um, and then once we got the funding, obviously you need it needs to be you know voted for and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, once we got the funding, Ronnie contacted him, right? Um, and and then he said he, he said, oh well, I was on the panel actually, so yeah, I'd love to <laughs> love to have you guys. So yeah, Brilliant. we we uh, yeah we flew to Cog Studios and and then we went out to Revolver, Revolver Studios, yep, and recorded the drums and bass and guitars and stuff out there and um. Is that the new revolver out way out south, or was that when it was still central? Oh, uh, that was when it was. Uh, what's the name of the town? Um, Waiuku. Yeah, yeah, Waiuku. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's the that's currently where it is. Right. Where did yeah. it used to be? Uh, central Auckland. Oh, right. It used oh, to be in maybe I think in Epsom. Somewhere. Oh, right. Okay. Cool. 
Um, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, mm. yeah, we flew over and recorded, and then two days later, we went and did the video, um, and then flew home and then released it, and yeah, and that was it. <laughs> it was, it was a trip, man. It was really cool. I've never, I've never really known how their, um, how it works, and you know what really the agenda is. Not that I'm saying they have the wrong agenda, but I've just never really understood the process, and you know, I, I would certainly love their support, um, but at the same time. I do believe in being independent as an artist. You know, I think, yep. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I've put my career together. I've been basically, it's, it's an independent career. You know, I've invested my own money and made my own money back. Um, I, I'm proving that it can be sustainable and that you can have a career in music. You know, and if, if I just had everything paid for me the whole way through, I don't know if that would have been, I don't, it wouldn't have made the same statement. I don't think I'd have the same sense of ownership. I so if they do choose to support me, I'd like to think that they choose to support me because they've, they've, they can see that I've worked hard and that I've applied myself and that, that they would support someone who's sort of on the winning side gotcha. rather than giving a handout to someone who can't be bothered doing it themselves, if that makes it sense. It does. But, yep. I, I don't know, but I don't know how they think, so I don't know if they'd see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Be cool if they did, but, you know, who knows. And, yeah, yeah, quite often we'd, we would look at the... This is before and after, you know, um, we got our funding. We, we would just look at the list that that got funded and we would go, well, it's a big label, big label artist, big label artist, yeah. big label. Like what? Yeah. I mean. I know. Yeah. It's, it, it still happens. Yeah, I, still, I, I still see names on there. I think if they haven't made enough money by now to, to work out their own shit, yep. they shouldn't be given money. Yeah. But again, what do I know? It <laughs> <laughs> like, comes down to it. You know, you don't know what the agenda is. You don't know who's got what hand in what pocket and, you know. Um. Yeah. And I also think if, I were, if it was up to me, I would, I would make my decisions for whatever reasons I would, I would have yep. and then be criticised the same way by all the other musicians out yep. there. So yep. it's kind of an impossible job to choose, I think. Yeah, that's it. And then I guess the other side of it yeah. too is like, you know, like we, we're not – we weren't actually living in New Zealand at the time and we got funding. Right. So there's that side of it. And I, we probably got a little bit criticised for that. Um, mm, but I yeah. mean, you know, the song that we made was five Kiwis in a room that wrote a New Zealand song, you know. It didn't matter that we were here. But yeah. I mean, we had all intentions of, of carrying on wherever it took us. Um, you know, yep. we, were, look, mm-hmm. we were promoting it hard and um, – and and if it had got traction, yeah, hey, who knows? We would have moved home, you know. Um, but right, but, you know, yeah. it, it kind of just it ran its course. And well, another thing that I think about funding is that obviously the idea of funding is that they're trying to support um, the creative arts and and, and the music industry. Um, difficult, struggling industry. They're trying to keep it afloat. Obviously, um, one of the things that I've always thought is is it the right thing to support individuals as an in artisan bands. Or is it a better idea to support the infrastructure, right? So we have uh, almost no good venues to play at in Auckland. And the venues we do have, they've got reflective surfaces everywhere. They often don't have very well thought out stages. They don't have very good PA systems. Um, if they put money into reinforcing venues and giving, maybe giving venues some sort of tax relief or putting in you know, arranging some sort of sound specialists or people to design the acoustics properly so they didn't keep getting shut down by noise control. Um, if they made the stage better, the sound on stage better, the experience for the audiences better. If you go to a venue in Auckland these days, most of the time it's so loud you can't hear yourself think. You just want to go outside, you know. 
um, it's really it's, it's really hard to develop a fan base if the fan base isn't going to enjoy the show, you know. But but no bands or, or artists can solve that problem themselves. So to me, wouldn't it make more sense if there were things put in place to make make things better for the audiences, for the venues, and for the artists across the board that suited everyone? Like for example, I heard a year or so ago that Seattle have um, put in place parking, like temporary parking for musicians, like loading bays just for musicians. Oh, really? Isn't that a great idea? That's an awesome idea. Yeah, yeah, just putting things in place. I mean, New Zealand's really good at supporting sports, for example, and making sure that they've got everything they need. Yeah. Why don't we do the same for music? Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Again, when I'm king, I'll fix everything. I think it's kind of opposite here in Sydney. Instead, well, what they've done in Sydney's um, taken away parking, especially for musicians (laughs) late at night, put bloody trams through, (laughs) trams through the middle of Sydney. You know. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't affect me like like where I am. Um, I'm out towards Parramatta Way, which is oh, yeah. yeah, it's about an hour mm-hmm. hour west of actual Sydney city, um, right? And it's you know it's good around here. But um, I don't know if you've ever heard about the Sydney um, lockout laws. Did no, I haven't heard about it. Yeah, okay. So a few years ago, there was some a few one punch. Um, and have you heard of the whole one punch? Incidents. There's, oh, so, um, so the story no. <laughs> was this, this, young, this young young guy was walking um, through one of the back streets of King's Cross in Sydney, and a guy randomly walked across the road, and King hit him, and he hit his head on the ground and he died. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then and and then this happened again. Um, so what the government ended up doing was create these lockout laws to try and reduce violence. Um, in in the area. So what that meant was, you couldn't once you were in a venue, you couldn't leave. You couldn't go outside of that venue um, from one a.m. And also, right. ven- venues were having to close early. Right. Um, and this and it was in this certain precinct um, of mm. Sydney. And what it has ended up doing is putting so many bars and restaurants and stuff out of business because they can't yeah. maintain. They're, they're relying on the patrons coming late. Um, so, yeah, so what that has basically done is, like, decimate the Sydney live music scene because, yeah. you know, yeah, so. That's ridiculous, that, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. So if you get a chance, yeah. look it up. Like, you know, go, yeah. just Google Sydney lockout laws and, and read a little bit. If I, I'll try and find some stuff and I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Because oh, I played a yeah. few shows in Australia earlier this year. We played in Melbourne and Sydney. And yep. uh, when we were over there, we were hearing about something else that happened. I can't remember the details now. You might know about it, but it yep. affected the festivals. They they changed some law that meant that yeah, yeah. something had to, there was, I don't know, more security had to be provided or something like that, that added this huge expense to festivals, which meant a lot of festivals just said, well, we can't afford to go anymore. Yeah, well, it's it, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the police presence at these festivals now is just so overkill. Um, right. You know, and I, I understand what they're trying to do, but the way they're doing it is it's not good. It and feels it's like hard. a gesture, you know? It, feel, it feels like there's a problem and they just go, I don't know, let's just do that. And they just don't really think it through and some random thing applied to everything, it screws everything up for everyone. Exactly, exactly. But, yeah. you know, it gets them gets them revoted, and, you know, now they're in right. government for four more years. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, this is po- this is politics again. I You know, I, I try not to get too much into it. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but basically what I was saying is, yeah, yeah, the, the Sydney... The Sydney scene is is just not the same. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, 
Unfortunately, yeah. I think that that's happening in a lot of places in a lot of different yep. ways. Right. You know, I think it's 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 hard in the arts at the moment. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I think a lot about it. Not that I've got any solutions, but apart from yep. things like the artists pulling together and and the government supporting the infrastructure, that's pretty much all I've got. <laughs> yeah, that's, but that's that's cool though. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, in saying yeah. that, in saying that with Sydney too, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot happening behind the scenes too. There's, um, as a friend of mine said, there's people sit, setting up their situations. Basically, mm. they're setting up their little music groups and venues and starting these followings. And and Sydney music scene, although it's sort of getting a little bit outside of Sydney, it's 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 still growing. It's not like it was. And it right. never will be like it was unless there's some big change. But yeah, man, it's um, it's cool. Yeah, that's all I got to say on that. I think. Yeah, yeah. it's a tough one. Yeah. Eh? There's sort of no end to that conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and yeah. and it's like, and in, in the middle of all of this, how do you keep yourself grounded and stay sane and stay positive? And because if you focus on on all of the the difficult aspects of things, it's easy to just fall down that hole, and everything just seems like it's terrible. You know. So how do you stay motivated to to still go and make an album or go out and play? Yeah. You know, and, and, and stay positive. And I think that's for all of us is an ongoing struggle. Yeah. Um, but it's really yeah. it's really important. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Mm. All right, man. So let's just um we'll wrap it up with you got some new music out. Um the album Hustle Bustle is out in September. Yep. The new track, which is out today, well, for us it's today, but for you listening was last week or the week before. I'm not exactly sure the date this is going to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that song is called Don't Be Late. Um, That's right. The track Hustle Bustle, which was the first first single, is fantastic. Go and listen to it. I'll put all the links um, to those songs and the up-and-coming album and you know your website, your um, podcast, everything. Yeah. If you've got some other links you, you want me to put, just send them over, man, and, and I'll chuck them in. Brilliant, thank you. Um, also, oh, are you going to? Are you thinking of um, touring the album? Yes, for sure. Yep, fantastic. I'm in the middle of putting a show together at the moment. Okay, fantastic. Well, yeah, yeah can't, hope you, can't hope, wait. Yeah, cool. I hope you get to Sydney, and if you get to Sydney, I'll, I'll definitely come. It'd be cool. I definitely, I definitely want to get to Sydney and Melbourne too. Awesome. I've got some good friends in both places, so I definitely oh, want to get over there. Yeah, yeah. Mel- Melbourne's a cool hub, man. And and yeah. you know, even Love even Br- even Brisbane, Gold Coast, if you can get up there too, there's a good scene up there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, see I, all the I, people. I would, I would do anything. Like just, you know, the people with money and power, give me a call. That, that, that's it. I, yeah. <laughs> that's it. I'll even knock a couple of zeros off my million dollar fee. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't undercut yourself, man. Don't undercut yourself. No, no, no. Yourself. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Danny McCrum, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Um, it's been a real pleasure. All, yeah, wishing you all the best with your music um, and the podcast. Um, oh, Thank you. So I've just oh, I didn't mention this. So the first time I heard of your podcast, um, I had Joel Shabbat on my show. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and I didn't know about your podcast at the time, and then I saw his name come up in your podcast, and I went, "Oh no, I definitely don't want to be talking about the same stuff." So I went and listened to it. <laughs> so that was my yeah, because I don't like I don't I, I don't I don't like to sort of um like rerun stuff of people off their podcast, you know? Yeah, no, I um, agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. really dug it. And um, and he's yeah, a great so like, dude. His band LAB are killer. They're killing it, man. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, basically almost yeah. sold out their Australian tour. Have they? Yeah, well, it doesn't <laughs> yeah, surprise which, me. Every, which, time, which, every yeah. time anyone sees them, they're like, God damn, these guys are good. 
know? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He's such a cool laid back dude. So um, yep, yeah. Sure. So that so yeah. So don't give up your day job is the podcast. Hustle bustle is the new album out September, and like I said, the two singles are out now. Danny McCrum, thanks so much, bro. Thank you very much. Appreciate Been a pleasure it, being here. Thank oh, you. All right, later, bro. Cheers. See you later. Cheers. Just one last